welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 101. My name is Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well, this week I've been playing Nintendo Switch Sports, the new motion-centric game from Nintendo, and that is the follow-up to the wildly successful Wii Sports series. I've also been checking out Xenoblade Chronicles, getting ready for the third game coming out later in the summer. All that, plus we've got Trek to Yomi, and we'll always have Paris, so plenty to look forward to this week. So let's get to it. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Yeah, I'm good this week, and it has been a while. It's really good to talk to you again. I'm back from my couple of weeks' holiday. Been over to Brazil to check in with family. Plus, it was my wife's birthday, and we had Mother's Day too. First time we've all been abroad since February 2020, and it was great to have a few days away. But it's always nice to come home again too. And as I said, really, really good to be speaking to you all again. Now, amongst the games I've been playing over the last few weeks, today I'm going to be checking out and looking forward to Mario Strikers coming to Nintendo Switch very, very soon. So there's not many big releases coming out in the next few weeks and months. So maybe Mario Strikers can gain an extra edge. So do look forward to that later on in the show. Before we get into it, it'd be great if you could leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. really helps the podcast get more eyes on it. I do have a link in the podcast description, so if you like the show and you want to leave a review, I would really, really appreciate it. Plus, I'll read out that review on a later future episode of the podcast. Also, if you want to support the show further, check out This Week in Video Games on Patreon. You can check out all the Patreon benefits. Well, that is it for my shameless plug at the beginning, but let's get into what I've been playing over the last couple of weeks. So recently I've been playing Nintendo Switch Sports, the spiritual successor to Wii Sports series, out now on Nintendo Switch. Now I've also been doing my research for another big release this summer by playing Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, one of the better JRPGs on Nintendo Switch. Plus I've been checking in on some great indie gems, so Trek to Yomi, and also We'll Always Have Paris. Well, Without further delay, let's get into my review of Nintendo Switch Sports. Well, Nintendo Switch Sports has arrived, and if it's half as successful as 2006 Wii Sports, Nintendo is going to have a major hit on their hands. Nintendo Switch has recently surpassed the Wii in sales, you know, both of them selling in excess of 100 million units, so Nintendo Switch Sports has the potential to be absolutely huge, but can Nintendo pull it off? Well, today, we're going to find out. In Nintendo Switch Sports, we've got six games to play, all fairly familiar if you are a fan of the series. So you've got tennis, badminton, football, chambara, volleyball, and also bowling too. Now, golf is coming to the game as well, and that's going to round out the offer for now. But as you enter each sport, you're going to get a quick tutorial in what to do, and then it's right into the action with the sport. It is a little bit surprising you're thrown right in. You know, in previous titles, Nintendo provided quite an in-depth tutorial for how to get used to the sports, but here, you're thrown into the action almost immediately. This does make it nice and quick to get into the action, however, if you don't know what you're doing, then the experience can be a little jarring. So bowling, tennis and badminton, all pretty straightforward. However, football, volleyball, and especially chambara, slightly more in-depth and could do with a little bit more of a tutorial. Well, next up, let's have a look at all of these sports in a little bit more detail. So first of all, we've got tennis, 
feels very similar to the tennis we've seen and we played before. You can use a variety of shots like forehand, backhand and a lob to outsmart your opponent. It does feel a little bit minimal. It doesn't really feel like it's come a long way in 16 years since it's been in the game. Yeah, it's a fine implementation of tennis. Would have been nice to see a little bit more innovation from Nintendo. Chambara, well that is a new one to me. Essentially, this is like sword fighting. So you and your opponent have a big stick. You have to batter them to knock them back and off their perch. So there's different weapons to choose from and it's fun tempting your opponent into striking you and then whacking them to make them fall when they are off balance. So I'd not played the previous version of this called Swordplay from Wii Sports Resort. But it's really good fun and one that will be on the regular rotation. Well, volleyball is perhaps the most disappointing of all of them. The game feels really slow, players are automatically moved into position and the game options are quite limited. I can see why the designers wanted it to be slow, so players can focus on the volleyball actions of the game, but the negative side effects are to a detriment to the whole game, and that ultimately puts me off the volleyball entirely. Football is very interesting to say the least, and whereas some of the sports I'll pick up and play, for this sport you need to know a little bit more, not only the rules of the game, but also the control scheme too, for the Nintendo Switch. The player uses the left stick to control the running, then you have to kick the ball to the goal with various button presses. So you've got 1v1, 4v4, practice mode, and also the easier penalty shootout mode as well. You know, though fun, it's probably the most awkward of all the games and suffers the same fate as volleyball, as at times it feels sluggish and quite slow too. One of my favourite ones is badminton. That is great entertainment. Now this is a much quicker sport and has more emphasis on placing and timing and accuracy. Now it's also easy to pick up and play. It's intuitive and it's fast, so badminton is easily one of my preferred sports to play in the game, and also one where we had the most fun. Well, finally, you've got bowling, and that feels great, much like it has done since the earliest incarnation with Wii Sports Bowling back in 2006. Yeah, with the Nintendo Switch Joy-Con, you feel like you've got more control than ever, allowing you to put spin on the board to create those special shots if needed. Bowling didn't need much doing to it to make it the best sport in the game, and thankfully Nintendo hasn't messed around with it too much. All of the games have a multiplayer component to them, and this is the feature that's going to get you coming back more time and time again with Nintendo Switch Sports. So I've been playing these sports and it's always a good time, and some of the games have 1-2-4 player support, meaning the whole family is going to be able to join in. Now while multiplayer offers some fun with other players, there is little variation in the actual games to keep you playing for long play sessions. So granted you may be likely to get tired of longer play sessions, but still more variety and features could be added over time to make Nintendo Switch Sports a little bit more engaging. Online play is available for matches and it's fun jumping into the games with players from all around the world. This is a great feature and one of the things I did to catch up with players I used to play with with Wii Sports back in 2006, only this time we were online. I can imagine this is going to create some fun content for video game outlets and it would be a really decent game on Christmas Day with family members in different locations. Now, it does suffer the same setbacks as local multiplayer, the game does need a little bit more variation or more game types. Well that is it for the sports themselves, but there is more when it comes to your avatar. You know, we used to have Miis, and they are gone in favour of sports mates. You can customise the hairstyles, the clothes colours, otherwise that's about it when it comes to making your avatar your own. You know, many customization options are locked behind the online play, meaning you have to jump online to be able to access those features. Nintendo are clearly wanting players to get online, although it would have been better to have all the customization options available for all players without having to go online.
There's also the concepts of collections too, where not all the cosmetics are available all at once. There's a rotating bunch of cosmetics available at one time, meaning you have to wait for the rotation to get everything. So if you've played a live service game before, then you could be used to this concept, but if you haven't, it can feel a little bit jarring. So do be aware of that if you are looking to jump in and customise your sportsmate. Well, the graphics have had a major facelift, and things are looking much better than the Wii Sports days. The sportsmates are detailed and generally look better than the Miis, and Nintendo Switch games sometimes feel a bit like a lottery when it comes to performance, but Nintendo Switch Sports does really well and maintains a decent 60fps throughout the games. Overall, Nintendo Switch Sports is really good fun. The game feels like a first iteration though, with only a few sports on offer and limited online options. Hopefully, Nintendo will rectify this over time, however at the moment the experience is fairly bare bones. So that's not to say the game isn't fun, it definitely is, and getting friends and family together locally or online is the best way to enjoy Nintendo Switch Sports for sure. Bowling and badminton are currently my top picks, but I'm also looking forward to what golf has to offer when that arrives later in 2022. Well, the game was developed by Nintendo, it was published by Nintendo, it's available on the Nintendo Switch, and it was originally released on the 30th of April, 2022. Well, that is it for my review of Nintendo Switch Sports, especially one for the family, I think it's really, really good stuff. Well, next up, I'm going to switch over to a little indie that came out in the last few weeks. This one is a black and white game based on Japanese storytelling. This one is Trek to Yomi. Well, Trek to Yomi is a long-awaited indie game homage to samurai movies in side-scrolling form. Visually, the game is absolutely stunning, and the story certainly has its moments, However, the combat and exploration is pretty lacklustre and overly simple, which unfortunately doesn't manage to retain my attention for long periods of time. While the gameplay doesn't quite do it, the visuals and the overall presentation of the game make it a worthwhile title to try, but you're going to have to wait and see if this is enough to grab your attention for the long haul. Well, Trek to Yomi is a stylish game, so it's set in a black and white world, inspired by samurai movies of the past, so much so that even the aesthetics of the old black and white film grain has been built in. The visuals aren't the only thing that looks back to the past though, the delivery of the audio is timed much like the old movies, it's slow and it's paced accordingly. Well, The story isn't too surprising for the genre, it's a revenge quest with the main protagonist having to choose between his duty and what he wants to do, you know, similar to the recent Sifu where you have a flashback and attack during a childhood scene and that sets up the revenge tale nicely. You know, Trek 2 Yomi doesn't stray from the old script of classic samurai stories, and most big scenes can be telegraphed. However, that isn't such a bad thing because you know exactly what you're going to get story-wise, and the game really does deliver. In terms of the action in the game, you're going to be wandering around taking care of enemies with your sword. Combat itself is very simple. You've got a light attack, a heavy attack, a parry, and also some ranged weapons too. You can unlock new attacks as progress in the game, but these don't take very long to get and that's your lot for the rest of the game. So once you've got all the tools to take on the enemies, then the game tends to become overly simplistic and also less challenging. On the upside, it does mean you can focus on the story element in the game, however the combat is a little bit lacklustre. It just becomes a little bit samey as you progress through the game, and your skills don't really progress with you. Much of the discovery of new abilities happens early in the game, and that leads to a stagnation of attention in the latter parts. You know, combat doesn't always reach the heights of the game like Hollow Knight or Dead Cells, it's passable, but nothing you're going to write home about. One exception to the less than exciting combat rule is the boss battles. 
So here you're going to meet a new enemy. They tend to have huge health bars and their own unique attack patterns, similar to Metroid Dread or other 2D side-scrolling action games. The bosses do force you to mix things up when it comes to attacking strategies and also surviving, as some of the bosses are certainly no joke. As they should be, bosses account for the major roadblocks in Trek to Yomi. Unfortunately, there aren't too many bosses in the game. You know, more of them would have kept things feeling fresh and more challenging, but there's simply not enough of them to keep things interesting. You know, to pair up with the combat, there's also the exploration part of the game. Unfortunately, it's fairly slim pickings as well when it comes to the exploration or the puzzles. Solutions are fairly straightforward, and the environments don't really offer up anything new to the experience, meaning the reward for the exploration just isn't really there. There's some side quests too, although once again, they are quite straightforward, simple, and similar to one another. You know, whereas in some games, the side quests take center stage to add more to the overall story and experience of the game, here in Trek to Yomi, they are just another way to spend a few minutes. Trek to Yomi is a visually stunning game, but unfortunately the whole experience is let down by the simple combat and the shallow exploration and the side quests. If you're a fan of the samurai genre and you like side-scrolling combat games, then this is worth giving it a go. On the plus side, it looks great. The story has its moments, but I don't think it's got the sticking power to be a memorable entry for 2022. Well, the game was developed by Flying Wild Hog. It was published by Devolver Digital. It's out on the PS4, PS5, Xbox One, the Series X and the Series S, and also PC2. I played it and reviewed it for PC Game Pass, and it was originally out on the 5th of May, 2022. Well, that is my thoughts about Trek 2 Yomi. Little bit hit and miss, does look absolutely beautiful, but the combat and the exploration didn't really do it for me, which is a bit of a shame. Well, that is it for a couple of reviews, but next up I'm looking forward, and this one is one of the bigger titles coming out in June. Really, really looking forward to this one. This one is Mario Strikers Battle League Football. Well, Mario Strikers Battle League Football is coming to Nintendo Switch in June, and Nintendo are bringing back Mario and the gang on the football pitch. It's been a minute since Mario and co have donned their football boots, but it's time to lace them up again and go 5v5 with Peach, Bowser and the rest of the crazy gang. Well, Mario Strikers Battle League Football is due out on June the 10th, 2022, and fans have been waiting years since the last iteration of the game. This latest game brings it right up to date with all the mod cons. You know, we've got great graphics, online play, you've got local play with up to eight players. Yeah, it's going to be an absolute blast. This one was first announced back in February 2022, and it did come as a massive surprise to fans, also cementing its place as one of the flagship titles for the Nintendo release in 2022, as loads of stuff has been pushed into 2023. Well, today I'm going to round up all the information that we got at the moment related to Mario Strikers Battle League Football, so we can get hyped for the release in early June. Well, Mario Strikers Battle League Football is a five-a-side version of football, so in the US, the game goes by the name of Mario Strikers Battle League and drops the name football, likely because of the potential confusion with American football. But let's not go there for the time being. You know, it's 5v5 football, attack versus defense, crazy action, passes, dribbles, and of course, loads of goals. Characters have special moves and super attacks to help them get the upper hand in matches. And if you combine the crazy action of Mario Kart with the football of FIFA, then you've got a really good idea of what Mario Strikers Battle League football is. So it's not really serious, it's just a bunch of crazy fun. You know, players can be upgraded too. 
You've got stats and gear, which brings a little live service RPG mechanics to the game. You know, I am definitely here for that. We've got helmets, pads, football boots. It's going to be a really, really fun time. Well, the trailer, shown off at the February 2022 Nintendo Direct, was a mixture of pre-rendered footage and gameplay. So we've got Mario, Peach, Toad and Luigi. They were facing off against Bowser, Donkey Kong, Yoshi and Rosalina in front of a huge crowd filled with Toads and also Yoshis too. It was here where we first saw the special moves and the power-ups, with Bowser getting blown up by a huge bomb and Mario performing an acrobatic kick to score a goal. And the gameplay looks like a load of fun. There's the attack versus defense nature of 5v5 football, but then you throw in all the crazy items for good measure. There's banana skins, green shells, special moves of all kinds, and it looks like there's going to be loads of different terrains and football pitches involved as well. And that could be involved with the gameplay, with Mario getting electrocuted from some part of the pitch in the trailer footage. So with Mario Strikers Battle League Football, it's not just unpredictable fun, there's definitely a strategy to the game, coming in the form of the gear that you wear on your character to provide various buffs and strategies. Now each player has strength, speed, shooting, passing and technique, and the stats range from 0 to 25. In the trailer, we got a glimpse of some of the equipment Mario can wear with different helmet options, and it showed the muscle helmet giving Mario a plus 2 for strength, but minus 2 for technique, meaning playing around with the different equipment is going to be important when preparing for matches. Gear also appeared to have a price in terms of coins, and we don't know at the moment where you get these coins, it could be that you play matches to acquire coins, then you trade the coins for the pieces, and that would make a lot of sense. Well, Hyper Strikes are a big part of the game. These are special shots or super moves that allow your player to unleash almost unstoppable shots to score two goals. You know, a glowing ball can appear on the field. You pick it up and your team starts to glow. You charge up the meter by playing a little mini game to unleash a Hyper Strike, which is very tricky to stop. And also you score two goals at the same time rather than just one. In terms of the characters, here's a list of the roster that we know about so far. So we've got Mario, Luigi, Bowser, Peach, Rosalina, Toad, Yoshi, Donkey Kong, Wario, and also the fan favourite, Waluigi. So we don't have any information yet about the different modes for the game, but I'm hopeful Nintendo will have another Direct or a longer video before release and give us some info related to the different modes for the game. Multiplayer looks like it's going to take centre stage in the game with up to 8 players able to control members of the team. This can either be done locally or online, and online is being fleshed out too, with something called club mode. Clubs can have up to 20 players competing against each other from around the world, and you also there's a leaderboard plus a tournament-style ranking system. Clubs have got names, they've got strips and uniforms, and also team mottos too. And Nintendo's going to be hoping for a similar response from players and press that Mario Striker set on the GameCube had back in 2005. That was really, really positive. You know, Super Mario Strikers was received really positively, with reviewers lauding the game's characterization and the visual style, being reminiscent of the Kazuto Nakazawa, and GameSpot's Brian Ekberg praised the game's accessibility, stating that Strikers' pick-up-and-play design is going to have you playing like cartoon Pele in absolutely no time at all. Similarly, critics welcome the developer's choice to forego traditional football rules in favour of a more arcade-style type of gameplay. Despite this, IGN complained of a disappointingly slim variety of game modes, as well as the perceived small roster of characters and inflexibility when choosing teams. On a similar note, Eurogamer criticised the vague presentation of characters' attributes, making it difficult to determine what the respective strengths and weaknesses are. 
Despite enjoying the variety and appearance of Striker's Stadia, GameSpot noted that only cosmetic differences among them and criticised a lack of physical features to make them more interesting. So you can see why Nintendo is probably leaning into the stats this time because of that criticism. Well, it seems the lessons to be learned from the previous titles are the game modes and their variation to the players, and it certainly looks like we've got plenty of arcade-style football to get into, but with fans and press complaining of a thin offering previously, hopefully Nintendo's going to flesh out those game modes to keep players engaged. Well, Mario Strikers Battle League Football is available for pre-order right now, if you're interested in the game, and the game is set for release on June the 10th worldwide. Well, that's it for my look at everything we know about Mario Strikers Battle League Football. It looks really, really good stuff, and I've definitely got my pre-order in. Can't wait to June the 10th to try that one out. Well, that is it for all the information we know about Mario Strikers Battle League Football. But next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. We're talking about football. At number 10 this week, it's FIFA 22. That's up five places from last week's number 15. At number 9, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons, up two places from last week's number 11. At number 8 this week, holding steady, it's Grand Theft Auto 5. At number 7 this week, up three places from last week's number 10, it's Minecraft. At number 6 this week, holding steady, still at number 6, it's Pokemon Legends Arceus. And at number 5 this week, it's a new entry, it's Evil Dead The Game. Holding steady at number 4, it's the perennial Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And at number 3, holding steady at number 3, it's Horizon Forbidden West. Again, holding steady at number 2, it's LEGO Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. And still in at number 1, selling really, really well, it's Nintendo Switch Sports. So Nintendo, with another hit on their hand by the looks of it, I think that's been top of the charts for the last couple of weeks. So congrats to Nintendo for another chart-topping hit. We're talking about chart-topping hits from Nintendo, I reckon they're going to want their later summer release to top the charts as well. So we've got Xenoblade Chronicles 3 coming out later in July. And quite interestingly, that one was bumped up from a September release to a July release. I think that was because of the Splatoon 3 delay. But I decided to go back to the first game to see what it was all about because I heard loads of really good stuff about number 2 and also the original. I'm really looking forward to jumping into number 3 as well. Well, next up, let's check out my review of Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Xenoblade Chronicles has become a staple of Nintendo's release schedule, with Xenoblade Chronicles 3 relating later in July 2022. You know, what started out as something quite niche on the Nintendo Wii in 2010 has grown into a major franchise for Nintendo, and you can check out where it all began on Nintendo Switch with Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Initially, Nintendo was hesitant to release Xenoblade Chronicles outside of Japan, thinking it wouldn't be able to find a Western audience. Nintendo needed not have worried though because Xenoblade Chronicles turned out to be one of the best JRPGs of that era and has since gone on to spawn Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and the upcoming third instalment of the series on Nintendo Switch. Now, Looking at the story of Xenoblade Chronicles, a fair amount of the game takes place on the back of two giant titans who fought each other to the death a long time ago. Now, the ancient battle may be done, but the Mekon, the people living on the Mekonist Titan, well, they are determined to wipe out as many of the Homs as possible, and the Homs live on the Bionis Titan. Well, our story starts in the middle of a battle between the Homs and the Mekons, and both sides wearing each other down to a standstill 
although things could kick off again at any moment. Well, the story follows Shulk, a home researching, living a colony, studying something called the Monado Sword, and the ancient sword was apparently used by Boanus himself during the Titanic battle. Unfortunately, Shulk's research is interrupted by the Mekons, finding their research station and destroying everything. Shulk decides to take the blade, head off on a revenge mission, and tries to finally put a stop to the war. And Shulk is joined by his friend Rayan, and as you make your way along the journey, you're going to bring along others along with you too. So all have been affected by the Mekon War, and simply want things to end in peace. Well, Xenoblade Chronicles manages to balance the tone expertly well, you know, one minute the game takes you through crazy action, two hard-hitting storylines, sadness and silliness, all in the same scene. You know, Shulk does well to keep up the spirits of the travelling companions with his eternal glass-half-full kind of attitude, but then he gets hit with visions due to his link with Monado. These visions of the future are somewhat incomplete, they're fragmented and often harrowing. Well, Shulk has to shoulder the responsibility of knowing there are terrible things to come, including the deaths of close friends. This is a dangerous journey, and we get to know the party members well, and then, unfortunately, we have to say goodbye to a few of them. It's definitely not all doom and gloom, though. Things are kept upbeat by your party members throughout the adventure, and the game strikes a very good balance of tone and energy. You know, one of the best features of Xenoblade Chronicles is the massive open world to explore, and we may be used to seeing these kinds of world in today's games, but back in 2010, this was an absolute revelation. While the environments may be big, it's not one interconnected world like we see in modern games today, like Breath of the Wild or Elden Ring. You know, Shulk and crew head off on an adventure to the top of Bionis, and with each part of the Titan's body acting as its own massive area to explore. Each area is full of side quests and things to do, and the game does a great job of giving you a sense of wonder as you and your party members travel across these huge titans. Now, the world design in Xenoblade Chronicles is fantastic, and you want to explore and you're rewarded for doing so. You do find yourself in combat a lot in Xenoblade Chronicles, and it's easy to get into, but it does have a little depth to the combat, and it's definitely going to keep the players interested. Combat plays out in real time with your character auto-attacking, while the hotbar of manually activated skills, called Arts, give you loads of options for extra actions that have cooldowns. Positioning is key to the system, where your art is cast can depend on where you are related to the enemy and where you're trying to attack. For example, certain attacks will do double damage if you've got the correct positioning, for example, behind an enemy for a backslash attack. Another example is the air slash and that adds a slowing debuff to enemies if performed by the side. That leads to some great action and as you're trying to figure out the best position and manage the cooldowns at the same time, plus thinking a few steps ahead. Now, as mentioned before, Shulk receives visions of the future, and this also happens in battles too. Shulk is sometimes going to see a party member taken down if nothing is done, and you are given a little bit of warning to react to this info and to do something about it, you know, either by warning your teammates or casting a specific art. It's a nice variation of the combat and throws a little complication into the mix, but keeps things from getting too repetitive. The basic combat is decent fun and will keep you busy for hours, although Monolith Soft have found ways to further mix things up through party members adding different playstyles into the mix. Rayan, for example, has loads of health, and he helps by drawing the player's attention away, allowing you to get in there and attack, and Melia has the ability to summon buffs, which can benefit the whole party, plus debuffing the enemy at the same time. Plus you're going to find yourself getting a little bit tired playing as Shulk, 
you can switch things up by designating other party member as the lead at any time. Much like other RPGs, you gain experience and levels as you go. However, there are other ways to progress. For example, characters can learn more arts and change their playstyle, and the arts can be leveled up individually to make them more effective in battle and lower the cooldown times. Each character also has multiple skills that offer passive buffs once you hit various milestones in the game, and the skills can be scared throughout the party via something called affinity. The progression systems are really good because you always feel like you're making progress towards something. You're gathering XP to further your main character level, but you've also got the arts to also level up as well. There's the skills and armors to purchase. There's always something to get and level up, meaning you won't feel lost or stuck. The affinity system has a big part to play here. That acts as a relationship between all the major characters in the game. Each part of Bionis has at least one large village or community that acts as a hub for the quests in the area, and you can complete the quest to raise your affinity in that area. This can lead to improving connections between NPCs, or you'll unlock new quest lines as your affinity continues to rise, you're going to unlock new options and items that you can trade with NPCs. This interconnecting system managed to keep the players engaged, and it's one of the reasons why Xenoblade Chronicles gets the praise that it does. Well, given this is a remake, there's some new content here for fans compared to the original, and that's through the Future Connected story. This is a story which is about 15 hours in playtime, and acts as an epilogue through the Bionis area, and that was cut from the original release. This storyline takes place about a year after the main game, and digs deeper into the story of Melia and her relationship with Shulk. And the Future Connected storyline has its own unique gameplay mechanics, and unique storytelling, and it makes it a great addition to the game. The expansion itself is not huge, but it's a really good addition to an already great experience. There's a new time attack mode, which has some really good rewards. These are short battles with a freely picked team, or you can select from a pre-made team. The idea is to win the fight as quickly as possible. You're going to pick up points, and the higher grade for the battle, the better the payout at the end. You can use coins that you win to buy armor and weapons, which are exclusive to the time attack shop. It's a neat distraction from the main game, or if you wanted something else to do while in the world of Xenoblade Chronicles. Monolithsoft has also upgraded the game in many other ways. They've been through the whole game with a fine tooth comb for improvements including side quests displayed on the minimap, the game directs you where you need to go, and the previously clunky UI has been replaced to match the Switch UI. Icons are easier to read, battle information is communicated much, much better, and it's all far less confusing in a game where there are interlocking systems in play. You know, there's plenty of quality of life upgrades added to make the game a very smooth experience tailored for Nintendo Switch. Xenoblade Chronicles looks great whether you're in docked or handheld mode, and it runs at 30 frames per second in either mode. It's definitely a visually impressive game on the Nintendo Switch, even though it's an older game. The soundtrack too has had an overhaul, but Monolith Soft didn't have the time or the budget to do a full orchestral rework, so only certain tracks have had the full overhaul treatment. The voice acting is really good, with the actors offering up a very convincing performance throughout the game. You know, in summary, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition is simply one of the best JRPGs on Nintendo Switch, and sits up there with some of the best games on the system too. The story is excellent, the action is really good fun, and has depth to it, plus it's a great introduction to a huge series, which is only going to grow in popularity. So if you've never played a Xenoblade Chronicles title before, do yourself a favour and make that change today. Well, it was developed by Monolith Soft, it was published by Nintendo, it's released for Nintendo Switch, and it was originally released on the 29th of March, 2020. 
Well, that is it for my review of Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition on Nintendo Switch. Really, really good stuff and can't wait for the third instalment coming later in July. Well, next up, we're going to change gears a bit. This one is an indie game and also one that's very, very close to my heart because it deals with the very difficult topic of dementia. And this one is We'll Always Have Paris. We'll Always Have Paris is a narrative game about dementia, and it's a relatively short game, but it does pack an emotional punch, especially if you're close to someone who suffer from dementia and understand the impact on the individual, but also the family and the loved ones that surround them. The game is about Simon Smith and his wife Claire, and they've been married for about 50 years. Claire is suffering from dementia, is slowly losing who she is, and her memories about her life with Simon, and also their son Arthur. Claire forgets little things and big things alike, and Simon and Arthur struggle to deal with the fallout of the disease and the effect that it has on their family. We'll always have Paris hits hard with its in-game puzzles and experiences. A good example is finding a torn-up wedding photo by the bed. You know, Claire's clearly not been having a good day, and it's up to Simon to put the pieces back together. The puzzles aren't tough, but it's the hard-hitting narrative that's going to take its toll. Now, having seen firsthand the impact of the disease on family, friends and loved ones, you know, it certainly brought back a lot of personal memories for me. You know, games that manage to elicit an emotional response, you know, they're always the most powerful, and this one is up there with the most powerful that I've experienced. So I do warn you, if you've been through a personal experience with something similar, it may stir up painful memories from the past, but it can also be a cathartic experience too. The Torn Photo is one of the mini-games Others are also scattered throughout We'll Always Have Paris, and each one packs a similar emotional punch. So adding coins to a viewer, checking for ingredients and also picking colours all add up to little minigames to keep the game and the narrative flow going. Well, Simon acts as our narrator for the game and much we see through his eyes. There's dialogue options to pick, questions to answer, and actions to take to keep the story moving forward. So I'm unsure of the impact of these decisions I don't think it's supposed to be like Mass Effect, where the decisions have long-lasting consequences. It's much more of a vehicle to keep the story moving and offer up different dialogue choices along the way. We'll Always Have Paris isn't a very long game. You can wrap up this story in little under an hour, but the impact of the narrative is likely going to stick with you for some time. There's a few funny moments in the game, but the main topic is dementia, and I think any education on the topic is a really good idea because there's still little known about the disease. You know, it's such a vast and wide-ranging disease. It impacts thousands of individuals and families every year. So you know, any education out there and experiences, I think, can only be a good thing. Having had a personal experience of seeing my father deteriorate, plus the impact on my mother from the realisation of living with the disease, and having to deal with the fallout of the devastating impact of dementia on my father's memory, removing his ability to speak and eventually his lack of ability to take care of himself, and the tough decisions that have to be made with him going into care. We'll always have Paris manage to dig up some memories that were buried, but also manage to provide some comfort and catharsis along the way. So I think the more we speak about dementia and share our own personal experiences, the more support everyone will have in dealing with the disease that tears apart families all the time. You know, tackling the topic of dementia is a tightrope to walk in a game, given it's a very, very heavy topic. 
but I think California Studios have done a really, really great job with Will Always Have Paris. It's a short game, but that doesn't take away from the emotional impact it has. And thank you to California Studios for providing a review copy of the game. Well, it's quite an emotional game, Will Always Have Paris, but I think it's a really good one. Definitely check it out if you're interested in that topic. But also, if you're interested in narrative games as well, I think the presentation the art style is really, really good too. Well, that is it for the moment for We'll Always Have Paris, but next up, let's have a look at what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. Okay, we're going to start off on the 24th of May, and first of all, we've got Hard Space, Shipbreaker, that's coming out on PC. Then on the 25th of May, we've got a few games, so Nino, No Kuni, Crossworlds, coming out on PC, iOS, and Android. And then also on the 25th, we've got Roller Champions, that's coming out on PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Then on the 26th of May, we've got one game, it's Sniper Elite 5, coming out on the PS5, Xbox Series S next, PS4, Xbox One, and also PC2. Then on the 27th of May, we've got a few games, so Cow the Kangaroo, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S next, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. And we've got Pac-Man Museum Plus, coming on Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and also PC2. Then on the 31st of May, we've got Snow Runner, that's PS5, and Xbox Series S and X. Then on June the 1st, we've got one game, it's Silt, PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. And that one we went into in depth recently on the Nintendo Indie Direct. Looked like a really, really good game, that one. Then we've got Card Shark. That's coming out on Switch and PC. That's coming out on June the 2nd. And we've got the big one, Diablo Immortal. That's coming to iOS and Android also on June the 2nd. Finally, on June the 2nd, we've got the final one. It's Soldiers. And that one's coming to PS5, Xbox Series S next, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and also PC too. Well, that is it for this week's episode, and it's good to be back, and I hope you're doing well, and if you enjoyed the episode, I would love to hear from you, whether it be through This Week in Video Games or Twitter, that is TWIVG Podcast, or you can get me in the comments on the YouTube version, or you can subscribe to the podcast, and let me know what you think on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games. Now, if you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out all the other podcasts in the feed, There's loads of stuff there for you to enjoy. And thanks again, and I'll see you very, very soon.